Let's go to our Bible study tonight. And this is a two-part lesson. So if you uh, keep in mind, it's like, I'm not going to finish the lesson tonight. It's a continuation to this lesson next week. Uh, okay? Lord willing, if we get, if we still here next week, if the Lord doesn't, doesn't call us home. <laughs> okay, so let's go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. This is going to be 2 Kings 14 and 15 and 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Okay, so let's, but let's go primarily to 2 Kings chapter 14. This is the, uh, the tale of nine kings. That we're going to talk, you know, don't you love to pronounce those kings' names? I think I'm going to give them Portuguese names. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I, th- <laughs> I think it would be better for me if I give those guys Portuguese names because some of these names are like, oh, you know. It's amazing how we try to Americanize the names. The names not even American names. They're Jewish names, and they're so difficult. So anyway, <coughs> uh, thank you for Brother Tom that helps me with some of these names here. Sometimes I, eh, my, my tongue doesn't want to go. But anyway, let's look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jeho- uh, Je- there he goes, Jehoiaz. Jehoiaz. Thank you, Jehoiaz. King of, of Israel, reigned Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoden of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like. See, keep in mind here. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all the things as Joash his father did. Alright? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord for this passage of scripture. As we look at those nine kings, Lord, I just pray Father, may we see the lives of those kings, and may we take things into account with our own lives, and may we learn from the mistakes of these men, what they have done. And we can correct things in our own lives as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the tale of nine kings. Don't you glad that your name is not in the Bible? And we got to read about your life and preach about it? Ooh. <laughs> Just to think about it, it gives me chills. Can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Can you imagine if you, um, let's say, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, uh, and, and now uh, Tom Cockins. <laughs> That would be good, right, brother? <laughs> I can put any of your names. I thought about this. I said, can you imagine if your name was in the Bible and we were to preach and study about you? We don't want to do that. No, no. But those guys' names are in the Bible, you know, and we got to look at them. Uh, and some good and some we see their failures. You know, but this is for our learning. God didn't try to, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the word try out. God didn't put their names in the Bible to humiliate them. You follow that? That was not God's purpose. It was for our learning. So, you know what? We usually learn from our mistakes, right? Well, some of us do. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have to bang our head like four or five times before we learn. It's because our heads are so hard and we don't. And we go like, well, well, I did this again. And I don't do this again. Boom, we do it again. You know, that's how we are. And, you know, but these things are for our learning. Even they're good and they're bad, what they did. And we look at it and we say, we can say, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I want to do this. You know, there is many good examples in the Bible. And there's bad examples in the Bible of people, what they have done. But anyway, but even though, take, keep in mind one thing. The Bible is about God. And God revealed itself to us, and we, the Bible is for there for us to know God more, Amen. you know, in an intimate way, more, okay? I was thinking about this today, actually, I was listening, somebody said this, said this way. Imagine, he said, if I married my wife, and when she married me, she's all married, she doesn't get more married, like they said, he said, he said this way, 
30 years now that I'm married, that's what the, what the guy said. I was listening to him. And he said, 30 years that I'm married, she's now more married to me than was in the first day. She got all married. But uh, you understand what, I'm, what he's trying to say here. He said, now imagine if I never went home after I got married. I was still married in name or in paper, but I didn't know the person that I married with. You follow that? He said, with that object lesson, think about with Christians, we Christians in, in the western side of, of the world, he especially here in America are doing. We saved, but we don't know our Savior at all. Because we don't spend, spend time with him, we don't talk to him, we don't commute with him, we just saved. But we don't know him. Well, that really touched me really hard. I was like, wow, that was profound. Sometimes, you know, the preacher needs to listen to, <laughs> you know. I'm not all-knowing, okay. So, biblical standards should always be non-negotiable. All right? Okay. Here's the Bible. The Bible has its standards. Actually, the Bible does not argue with anybody about believe in me. You either believe, take it, or reject it. God is not in the business of trying to argue with people. Jesus didn't argue with people. Jesus argued with the Pharisees, Sadducees, because of what they were doing to the Jewish people. But the Bible stands, we either believe it or we reject it. But I tell you what, if we become students of the Bible and, God, and want, have the desire to know the God of the Bible, we're going to change. Oh, it's going to transform us. And some people say, oh, that's a pitiful way of living. No, no, no. That is a joyful way of living. A joyful way of living. Because now I know my purpose for living. I know why I exist. I know the God that created me. And many people in this world have no clue what they're doing in this world. What did you uh, point for? Oh, so I can, I can play video games all day? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> I sit in my room. I put my uh, things on. And I play with everybody. I, I don't even know what's going on. Is it raining outside or was it snowing? I have no clue. You didn't look outside yet? No, I've been watching video games, playing video games all day. See, they know I have no clue why they're existing. You see, so biblical standards should always, should always be non-negotiable. We should never negotiate biblical standards. Okay, because God's standards of holiness is non-negotiable. You know, God says, this is me, I am God, this is where I stand. And we can, well, we can form all kinds of opinions, but God's not going to change. He even says, I am God. I change not. So, in other words, God is not going to low his standards because of the decay of society. You know, folks, neither should we. Oh, but the way you have your church, it is just old-fashioned. It's just people don't want this anymore. All right. You know, okay, fine. You know, whatever. The decay of society. We have to be careful because there's always a fine line between grabbing the world and be like the world instead of us be like Jesus. Listen, God's desire is for us to be more like Jesus, not be more like the world. So why are, we, why are we getting the emphasis of the world to try to be like the world and we forget to be like God? It is a, an enormous amount of Christians that try to grab the world and say, oh, we have to do this, this, and this, and this, because it attracts people. Listen, what should attract people is the preaching of God's word. That's what should attract people is the word of God. You mean this musical, this music thing that goes on in these age, this age. If you go to biblical times, music, they sing, don't get me wrong. But it's not as significant as the word of God. People heard the word. Today people would have been entertained. That's the decay of society. Itching ears. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. They want just to make me feel good. I struggle all week. I have many problems. Lift me up so I can go and fight again. So preachers don't preach in certain passages, certain things, because 
even in their mind is distorted because now what they try to do is make people feel good. Listen, there's a time and place for everything, isn't it? Sometimes a preacher got to encourage the congregation. Sometimes a preacher got to just preach hard and say, listen, you need to turn from sin. Sometimes a preacher got to say the words of God and teach sound doctrine and hard, you know, biblical principles. But is the thing. <clears throat> God is not going to lower his standards because of the decay of society. And our society is decaying badly. Look at our society. <clears throat> it's decaying very badly. What used to be in closed doors, and people didn't even talk about it, it came to the streets of our, our country and is done with no shame at all. And I can name many things. Now, should we Christian participate on that? Should we Christian lower our standards to say, it's okay, you know, they mean well, well, okay. God is not going to lower the standards, neither should we. So the standard of Judah began to subside, I'm sorry, as the kings stopped comparing themselves to King David. Tonight we're going to see the tale of nine kings, both in Judah and Israel. We're not going to look at all of them. That's why we have part two of this lesson, on which they lowered the standards of faith to embrace the standards of society. You can't make people more faithful by lowering the standards of faith. You cannot. If we think we're going to change everything do we do in order to get a crowd and accommodate people, listen, if something is going to change the heart of man, it's got to be the Word of God. It's got to be the Word of God. You know, people need to know from the Word of God that if what they're doing is wrong, they need to hear that is wrong. We live in a society today, oh, oh it's, not, it's not wrong. We, we accommodate, appease, so we don't want to hurt their feelings. So even in schools, they don't even do exams anymore. You know, because, oh, poor little Johnny, he, he can't, he can't go, he can't, he's not going to pass the test. So we, listen, what about working hard and study and do the best you can? You know, you study hard and you go and, and you get the test, you get 100, you get 90, you got 80, and you go like, who I did it, and, and be joyful because you put your effort into it. What society are we living into, isn't it? All right, so ancient Israel wasn't much different from society today. Now only, uh, now one king of Israel encourages people to repent to seek the Lord. And in Judah, uh, Amaziah and Uzziah both committed acts of arrogant ambition and brought judgment from God. God. You know, let me. I want you to understand this, all right? The Jewish people were covenant people. God made a covenant with them and God said, If you do this, I will do this for you. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. This is like a godly father, okay? You say to your kid, if you lie, that's full smacks. If you disrespect your mom, that's what you get. If you do this, if you steal, that's what you get. So you tell you the, the, the godly parent, tell the, tells this kid before it happens so they know what's coming. So when the kid does the thing, the parent goes, I know, I did it, I know. They already know, so you don't have to go and, you know, and there the father can, or the mother can, or have mercy and grace and say, don't do it again. Isn't that what God does to us? God does to the Jewish people say the same thing. God says, if you do those things that I'm telling you, this is what I will do for you. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen to you. You know what? It went years and years and God tolerated so much wickedness and sin. And it was not like from one day to the other. This was years in the making until God's grace and mercy ran out. And so we see these kings right here. So I'm still in the introduction. <laughs> so so uh, when Jeroboam II became king of Israel in 1782 B.C., little did the people realize that in six years the kingdom would be no more. As we look at these nine rulers, 
we can gain some practical insights into the will and ways of God as well as the terrible wages of sin. So let's look at the tales of nine kings tonight from several points. Okay, uh, If I stop, if I don't finish the whole lesson tonight, we'll continue next week because this is a long lesson. When I finished this lesson, I had almost 30 pages. I said, I cannot preach this in one night. All right? So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so uh, letter A, we see a presumptuous king, Amaziah. A presumptuous king. We see this in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 1 to 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We're going to look at some in, in here, something. So some form of, of the word presumptions appears eight times in the King James Version of the Bible. So the word indicates an intentional, rebellious, or sinful act by a single person. Presumptuous sin is deliberate. Okay? They are committed with a full knowledge that there are sins and in full light of what God has said. Presumptuous sin is premeditated. They is intended to sin in a time of deliberation before the act. So they premeditate, they think about it, and they do it. For an example, all right. I, I said this before a long time uh, here. Maybe I don't know if you remember that. But I remember one time that a friend of mine told me that his father, when I was in Portugal, bought this piece of land, and we went in the land, I know exactly where the land was, it would be long to, but we went there, there was, it was bananas, it was oranges, it was tangerines, it, it, it there. Well, you know what, we feast all day, <laughs> because he said, that's my dad's, and so, but anyway, when I came home, my mom, first thing, like, what you been all day, I was so happy, I told my mom, I was like, my mom, I was like, knew right away, this kid is lying. So mom, well, you know, march me, like in you know, old-fashioned way, grab me by the hand to the neighbor's house we went, knocking the door, and my mom tells, tells me to tell the story to the kid's mom, my friend. My friend was like, you knew he was, was going to die. <laughs> but, and, so he came home, and my mom said, don't you ever go to that place again. Well, we premeditated, and we went, guess where we went? back to the same place. No, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was sin. But guess what? I did it anyway. No, if I came home, guess what I was going to get? Not good stuff. You know, I came home, guess what I got? Not good stuff. <laughs> so, is what we see right here, presumptions. So, presumptions uh, sins can only be committed in a suppression of the conscience in spite of its appeal. So those who sin presumptuously say, in effect, I am going to do this and nothing is going to stop me. I know what God says about it. I don't care if it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. So presumptuous sin is committed in direct contradiction to what a person knows to be true. So we, to do this, we lower our standards of what God says, and we just do it anyway, knowing that is wrong. Have you been there? All of us been there. All of us been there. So those who sin, uh, uh, let me see where I was. Okay, uh, so we can now know that something is wrong. We've spoken out against it, and we conceal others to avoid it. But given opportunity, uh, temptation, and a moment of weakness, we can, we can just go and do it, knowing that is wrong. So we knew it was wrong, even as if we, we were doing it. But that knowledge did not prevent us from deliberately moving forward in our sin. So it is almost, uh, 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 it is like, you know, you know it, but you don't want to hold back, and then you do it. So we are prone to sin, and that's why David prays. prays. Actually, we, we have to understand this. We need to understand what a sinful nature is. Okay? Okay, grasp this with me, okay? We have a spiritual nature, which is after God. And praise the Lord for that. But we have that sinful nature, and that sinful nature has a grip on us. You know, just... You know, and that grip, it gets you emotions, it gets your mind, it gets you everything, and draws you. And many times because we're so sinful, because it comes natural to us, because we're sinful creatures. And we fall into it, knowing that is wrong. It's like a kid, right? Don't touch the electric plug. Don't stick your fingers in there. They didn't know it was wrong. 
Because, I mean, we don't want them to get hurt. And they're looking at you like, why are they doing that? Because it is wrong. And they know it. Same thing with us. But the thing that sometimes, even worse is this. Presumptuously, we know that is wrong. We pre-plan and we do it. And we don't care if God knows or not. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 19. Actually, go to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 13. Look what it says. Pro, I mean, not Proverbs, Psalm 19, 13. I'm sorry. Psalm chapter 19, verse 13. It says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He said, it's a prayer right here. He's asking the Lord to keep him away from presumptuous sins. So Amaziah was the ninth king of Judah, and the son of Joash, the boy, the boy king, uh, who in the later years turned away from God. We look at, at this king and and <coughs> and killed God's prophet, and and he was himself assassinated in Second Chronicles chapter twenty-four. We read this. So um, uh, Amaziah made an excellent beginning, but he later abandoned the Lord, and was also assassinated in chapter fourteen, verse seventeen to verse twenty. Uh, to, uh, to verse twenty. So he saw, he saw it. Then the uh, then the man we executed, who had killed his father, and he obeyed Deuteronomy chapter. 24:16 by judging only the offenders and not their families. Had he committed, commi- continued to obey God's word, his life and reign would have been much different. Consider some of his sins. Letter A, unbelief. That's the sins of Amaziah. Amaziah decided to attack Edom and regain territory, and that being been lost, uh, the venture uh, the venture was good a good one, but uh, but. The way he went about it was definitely wrong. He took a census and found that he had 300,000 men, but instead of trusting the Lord to use these men, he hired 100,000 mercenaries from Israel to increase his forces. We read this in uh, 2 Timothy, I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 7, and chapter 25, verse 5, 13. So his fate was in numbers, not in the Lord. I think is this in your outline. His fate was not in the in numbers, but in the Lord. Look what it says in Second Kings chapter fourteen, verse eleven. But Amaziah would not hear. But Amaziah would not hear. All right. How many times you and I do not hear? <laughs> How many times? I mean, listen, we all the same, don't we? Is that times that we don't hear? And the Lord just pounding our hands, how many things do I have to tell you? And you're not listening to me. Amaziah will not hear. God sent him a prophet. He will not hear. Even worse, the soldiers were hired, came from apostate Israel, where the people worshipped the golden uh, 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 calves. Uh, God sent a prophet to rebuke the king and warn him that the Lord was not with the kingdom of Israel. So he hired soldiers uh, with only bring defeat. So one of the recruiting teams of Israel, Israel, is their sin. And, and, and the alliance that they had with the ungodly because they didn't have faith in the Lord. Folks, I tell you what, I've been a Christian for 25 years or so, and I tell you what, I've seen many Christians who don't have faith in God at all. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I, I've, been in, I've been in many churches, that, look, I see Christians who don't have faith at all. I'm going to tell you, I'm giving you an example. When our pastor announced to, that he was going to leave First Baptist Church many years ago, this guy's standing next to me, and he goes, that's it, we doomed. And I said, why? We're never going to have a pastor like that. We doomed. That's it. I said, you trusting him or you trusting God? When Moses left out of the scene, did God provide somebody else? You see, there are people, not, they, have, they have sight, but they don't have faith in God. 
They love Jesus, don't get me wrong. But to the bottom line is this, the faith is shallow. Listen, we need to read our Bible believing that what the God of the Bible is a real God who talks with us through His Word, even through God's people. How many times people say something I was like, oh, I needed to hear that. Ben there? So, his faith was in numbers and not in the Lord. He said, but the Messiah would not hear. He'd go hire people to go to war. He didn't trust God. Solomon, for an example, married heathen wives and by, by this entered into treaties with his neighbors, but his wives influenced him to what? To worship idols. Solomon, the wisest man, right? Left the Lord, the God of Israel, to worship the gods of their his wives. He had so many wives, I don't think he even knew their names. That's how bad it was. <laughs> he was like, what, 900 of them, whatever that he had? You know, so King Ahab married Jezebel, a Phoenician princess, and a worship of Baal. And this brought Baal worship into the kingdom. Imagine what it did to the people. Listen, listen, I mean, like we say like this, okay, okay. The children of Israel saw the miracles of God right in front of their faces. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the miracles in Egypt. The Red Sea parted. They saw the way the Lord took care of them in the desert. They went to the promised land and God continued to take care of them. He, he took care of, moved the enemies around. God said, only trust me. You know what? They saw it. You know what? And all that time, complaining, 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 sinning against God. And you say, oh, Pastor, if I would see that, I would love God. We got the whole Bible. You know why? In many cases, we're worse than, than the Jewish people were. I'm not saying that all the Jewish people were like that. Don't get me wrong. There was godly people there. There was godly people there, people who loved the Lord. Okay, so. You believe when Ahab married Jezebel, you don't think there were some godly people in Israel? Oh, yes, they were. Look what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not equally yoked together with unbelievers. That's strong words. You know what? Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss the words because God doesn't want to twist our mind on these things. It says, be not equally yoked together with unbelievers. There are things, there are standards that we cannot have with, un, with unsaved people. Doesn't mean we shouldn't talk to them. We, we, we work with them side by side every day. We talk to them. Some of them are even our friends. But there are some things that we cannot have together with them. Why? Because our God is not their God. It's much different. And, 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 to, and to be equally yoked together with them, we have to lower our standards. And that's when we're asking for problems. Okay? This is an admonition that needs to be heard and, he, and heeded in the church today. It's not... Uh, uh, by imitating the world and, and uniting with the world, uh, but by being different from the world, that, that we manifest the power and grace of God and accomplish His will. Listen, God doesn't want us to be like the world. God wants us to be like Jesus. So according to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2, Amaziah was not wholehearted in the relationship with the Lord. And this reveals itself in the way he argued with the prophet about the will of God. Chapter 25, verse 9. The king was unwilling to send the mercenaries home because it would have uh, uh, mean, uh, mean forfeit the 100 talents of silver he had paid uh, to the king of Israel. This amounted to nearly four towns of silver. So it was political things there. Amaziah was counting the, co the cost and adjusting his priorities, hoping it could... It could change God's mind. But let me tell you this. We cannot buy God. We cannot put a price to God. If you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. Oh, Lord, I think I did this wrong. Can you fix that for me? You already did it wrong. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. 
If we would seek the Lord, the Lord's will, before we rush into disobedience, we would avoid a great deal of trouble. But even when we change our minds and decide to obey the Lord, often there are still painful consequences to endure. I tell you, I've seen Christians who, unfortunately, left the Lord, went to the ways of the world, returned back to church and praised the Lord, returned back to the Lord, but they had to reap some serious consequences. Okay, so we see the first one is, uh, is, letter A is unbelief. Number two is idolatry. A Scottish minister, Andrew Boner, said, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Why? Because after the victory, usually we put our weapons down. And that's when we get in trouble. You know, folks, the enemy doesn't rest. You follow that? You don't call the enemy in the cell phone and say, Hey, Satan, no war today. Or say to the world, World, I'm off today as a holiday today. Or say to you, send for nature. Hey, hey, uh, just take a day off. Go to the beach. It doesn't happen. They're constantly at war. And we should be constantly on guard. Because when we lose standards, that's what happens. That is an admonition that King Amaziah desperately needed to hear and heed. The Lord Jehovah had given him his servants an outstanding victory over a strong enemy in a difficult place. Um, and I'm going to explain this. And yet Amaziah took back, took back to Judah the gods of the defeated enemy. 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14 to 16. So worshiping idols was a direct violation of the law of Moses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, God said. Right? And worshipping the gods of the defeated enemies was simply unreasonable. After all, what did those gods accomplish for the Edomites anyway? Yet, Amaziah began to worship the gods of Edom, offer them sacrifices and consult them. Actually, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. Let's look at this. 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. This is an amazing thing right here. Talking about idolatry and what idolatry can do. Also, Pastor, we really don't worship idols today. Oh, we do. We do. Just modern idols, but we do. Okay? Look what it says in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 14. And it came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites... That he brought the gods, this is what Lord says, of the children of Sir, and set them up to be his gods. And bowed down himself before them, and burned incense unto them. You see that? Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindred against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of their hand? That's common sense right there, right? And it came to pass as he talked to him that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear, why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God had determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this, and hast now hearkened unto my counsel. Look what he said here. What happened to Amaziah? He lowered his standards. Okay. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. No, our standard is our God. When we put an idol there, and we bow down to the idol and worship the idol, you know what we did? We lowered our standard. God is not that relevant anymore. God is not that important anymore. And while it's like, oh, Pastor, we don't do that these days. Yes, Christians are doing that. I'm not even saying the loss is doing that. I'm saying Christians are doing that. When the Lord sent his messenger to the king to warn him, Amaziah interrupted the prophet and threatened to kill him if he continued to speak. But the prophet had one last word. God would destroy the king for his sin. In fact, God would permit the king to destroy himself. Get this. The greatest judgment 
This is a new outline. The greatest judgment God can send to people is to let them have their own way. <clears throat> you know what it says in Romans chapter 1? God gave them to the lost of their own desires, or however the verse goes. They want this, they want this, and God finally says, oh, you want it? You can have it. I'll let you go. It. Can you imagine that? And some people have, they keep going and to a point of no return. They just keep going. Their mind is so polluted. That seems like God is doing in their lives of many, uh, uh, that seems like what God is doing in the lives of many people in this world. They celebrate, listen to this, people are celebrating their sin. They parade their sin in the streets with no shame these days. Okay? They teach their sin as a way of life, and that is okay. Isn't that what we have in our world today? They parade their sin on the streets, and they, they, and they make us, those who have our standards, make feel like we bigots, and we, we have no reason. You know what? We say, what's wrong with you? There's no more shame. You know why? Because there's no fear of God anymore. And Messiah was there, so was many people today. And the, God's people would say to the people of this world, come in and teach us these things. What did Amaziah? He got the, the gods of the, uh, uh, the uh, Edomites, and he brought them with him, and guess what he did? He bowed down to them. You know what we do? We go into the world and grab the things of the world, and we take it to heart. We blow our standards. God is insignificant. And we begin to worship those things as well. And we say, oh, I never do that. Presumptuous sin. We know it's wrong, but we do it anyway. Look, folks. You hear the news. You watch the news. You see what's going on. They parade this sin in the streets today. I mean, I saw a church not very far from here. Okay. This is what I saw in front of the church. All right? The rainbow. I know that's not the rainbow of God's promise. I know exactly what they tried to do. All right? Right there, the door with the rainbow colors. I was like, all right. Black lives matter over here. Uh, listen, all lives matter to me. All lives are relevant to God. All right? But I know what they tried to say there. All right? That's one. That's two. Where was the other one? Uh, uh, I forgot. There's a bunch of stuff right there in front of that church. And you look like... They lower their standards. Their standards are down. You know why? Because they try to fit society. So they're trying to say, what you're doing, it's okay. It's right. I agree with you. It's fine. Remember, God does not lower his standards. Neither should we. Remember, you we are ambassadors of heaven. We are God's children. We're always going to be different no matter what. We don't belong in this world. So they parade their sin in the streets. That's what they do with no shame at all. They teach that their sin is a way of life. And they're teaching to our little kids these days. You know what? In our Christian people, I understand. Listen, listen. I'm not going to finish this lesson. Listen, listen. We love our children. And we know what they're teaching is wrong. And presumptuously we know it's wrong when we give our kids to the wolves. And we know they're teaching our kids the wrong things. But we have to go to work anywhere. And we allow our kids to be thought bad things, you know, things that are wrong. And when they get, become teenagers, you have a problem in your hands. Am I teaching something? Am I out of date or something? Parents should know. The parents know what they're teaching in public schools. Listen, I came from public school. I was there. I know what they teach there. I was there. I'm a product of public schools. Oh, you did okay. No, no. God transformed my life. So presumptuously, we give our kids to the wolves. Then we're surprised why they turn out the way they turn out. Oh, I don't know what happened to my kid. Oh, really? Don't you ever heard that bad company corrupts your character? 
And we allow these people, their minds are so polluted to pollute the minds of our kids. And it's okay. So they teach that this, this sin is a way of life. And that's okay. Their minds are so desensitized from the reality of their own sin. They are sinners heading to judgment. Because of their continual presum presumptions, God gives them to the desires of their own heart. What a sad place to be. Look what it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Get this. The various forms of modern idolatry have one thing at their core. Let me repeat this. The various forms of modern idolatry have one thing at their core. You ready? Self. Most of the world no longer explicitly bow down to idols and images. Instead, we worship at the altar of God, of, of the God of self. This brand of modern idolatry takes various forms. Number one, we worship at the altar of materialism, which feeds our need <clears throat> to build our egos through the acquisition of most stuff. Our homes are filled with all kinds of stuff that we don't even use. We build bigger and bigger houses with more closets and storage places in order to, uh, uh, in, in order to a house for the house to accommodate what we have. Most of our stuff, we don't even use it. Some people even have stuff that they bought one time, and it's still there, like the, in the boxes. So we buy gadgets and all kinds of stuff. Is anything wrong with wealth? No. Folks, what is wrong is when we put ourselves above God. That's what is wrong. We worship self instead of God. You see, it takes humility to bow down and say, you are my God. It takes humility. And we live in a world today, in a society today, is so decayed that God is insignificant to them. And you know what? And many Christians, are, they want that. They want that. Oh, let's change the environment of the church. Let the church be modern. Let the church think, you know, look how much fun they have out there in the world. So what they, what they have in the church is concerts. They have rock concerts and all kinds of things. All in the name of God. Go for it. We lower our standards. No more God. Here and here looking at God. It's me. I myself, God, and I'm looking at the decay of society and grabbing all those idols. Number two, we worship at the altar of our own pride and ego. This often takes the form of obsession with careers and jobs. Millions of men increasing, and increasingly more women spend 60 to 80 hours a week, and some of them even more than that. Even uh, on the weekends and during vacations, our laptops are humming, and, and, and they, they even work. They go on vacation, but continue to work. They idolize work to, so they can buy more stuff. You know, I criticize our band that I don't work on Sundays. You, you, you might think I'm kidding. You mean you're not coming to do to, to make double time and a half? I don't care about the double time and a half. Oh, you should. I, and they go and they do the math and they just give me the paper. Look how much you're losing. I don't lose anything because I'm not here <laughs> to gain anything. So if I don't here to gain anything, I'm not losing anything. Common sense, right? But they, they, you know, they, it's like this what people see. It's like, you know what? Some people idolize their jobs. That's everything they do. Listen, if you have to work two jobs for, to, to, because you need financial, financially, yeah, go for it. God give you the, you know, the help to go work. I, I admire a person that goes to work because they need to provide for their family or, or the family of one, the family of 20, whatever the family is. But a person that goes and works hard, 
I am I a person like that? But just to work and work and work for the sake of just getting stuff and idolize those things, something is wrong. King Solomon put it this way. Actually, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 21. In verse 22 and 23. I'm only on page 6 of this, of this lesson. This is, a great, <laughs> this is a great lesson. I only have 30 more, 30 more pages to go. <laughs> We're going to make a series out of this thing. All right? <laughs> Look what King Solomon says. He put it this way. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 21 says, For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that had not labor, therein shall he leave it for his portion. This is also vanity and great evil. For what had a man of all his labor and of, his, uh, and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he had labor under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh, the, taketh no rest in the night. This is also vanity. You see what Solomon is saying there? Number three, we idolize making through naturalism and the power of science. We cling to the illusion that we are the lords of our world and build our self-esteem to God-like proportions. We reject God's word and his descriptions of how he created the heavens and the earth and we accept the nonsense of atheism, evolution, and naturalism. And it amazes me that some Christians believe this stuff. Oh, we evolved. How can you call yourself a Christian when you believe in evolution? Right. You have to be, listen, a person might give, that person might be a Christian. I'm not God to judge, right? But let me tell you, when you begin to think, on that way, and believe that way, you have lowered your standards. Way low. You forgot God, the creator. You forgot the one who saved you. You forgot how powerful he is and what you can do. And you come down here to the decay of society. You begin to believe what empty minds are believing. The empty minds of this world, oh, we evolved. It doesn't make any sense. How could a Christian come from here to here? Very easy. They open their minds to the things of the world. And they look at the decay of society. And when they look at that, they're in trouble. I can give you a lot of examples. I heard them all. Believe me. You go say, Pastor, I'm telling you. You know, I mean, you don't know the text, the nonsense text message that I had, that I get, and the nonsense questions that I have from people that I have no idea who they are. <laughs> and you scratch your head, you go like, "What in the world is that?" <laughs> Believe me. Okay. <laughs> oh, we embrace the godless of the the environmentalists and fool ourselves into thinking that we can preserve the earth indefinitely when God has declared that this current age will come to an end. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to finish this. We're, going to, we're not going to finish. We're going to stop, okay? Only in, in, in page number 6. So this is going to be a long series, okay? <laughs> Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, okay? Look what the Lord says in there. You this? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? What about you at home? You have a Bible? All right. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have one, listen, please. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing them... That all these things shall be dissolved with manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of the Lord. Wherein the heavens bring, uh, being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we according to his promise look for the new heavens 
Praise the Lord for that. And the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Let me put it this way. We try to preserve the earth. And God said, I'm going to melt it down. Oh, 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 like, so we're not going to do anything to preserve the earth? No, 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 we have to take care of God's earth. Don't get me wrong, we ought to take care of God. Listen, we ought to clean the garbage, we ought to make sure we have clean water and all these things. But if we rely on that, if we preserve the earth, that's going to, we, we're going to, we, 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 we try to put ourselves in the place of God, we are in the wrong. Because there we already load our standards. God is God. I remember one time, I mentioned this before, remember, remember the big earthquake in, 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 in uh, Japan a few years back? That actually, one of the part of the island actually went down a little bit. One guy on TV said, I, he doesn't know who I am, I don't know who he is. <laughs> we never met each other. But he said, oh, this is going to change the, 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 the rotation of the year. This is a tremendous earthquake. We're still here. The seasons still go on. You know why? Because my God is not a man. It is God Almighty that created all. He sustains all. Amen. Colossians says that. First, uh, first Colossians. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 16, 15, 16, and 17 says those things that God holds the earth and He sustains everything. You see? We have to be careful that we don't lower our standards to the decay of society. Listen, folks, our society is going to get worse than it is. Don't be surprised. The more lawlessness, the more ungodliness, the more unrighteous that keeps going in our world, the more the, opens door, the, the doors open for more stuff to come in. I, I bet you that 20 years from now is going to be Two times worse than it is right now. Even we might be in heaven already. The more people walk away from God and idolize the decay of this world, the worse it's going to get. And shame on Christians that open their minds to those things. Right. You know what? God says, I'm going to melt the whole thing. So in this passage, states our focus, our focus should not be on worshiping the environment, but on a living, holy God. He alone deserves worship. It amazes me how many Christians try to fit their lives with the pattern of this world. Instead of being more like Jesus, they are, they are more like the world. Okay. You want me to go to the next point or should I stop here? Let me give you all that point. This point. Point number four, we worship at the altar of self to the exclusion of all others and their needs and desires. This manifests itself in self-indulgence through alcohol, drugs, sexual sins, and foods. The self-control self we so desperately need is spurned out into a, 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 a way that we cannot control ourselves. We just let it go. We resist any effort to get us to curb our appetites and we are determined to make ourselves the God of our lives. This has its origin in the Garden of Eden with Satan tempted Eve to eat of the tree with the words, you will be like God. And since then is the appetite of man. I want to be like God. Some even say I'm my own God. And today we live in a society that's like this. I do what I want to do. And nobody tell me what to do. You know any problems people that hire people for work have with people like that? They tell right the person, I do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. Hey, I thought I was paying you. Can you imagine that a... It was in the news some time ago that a college kids go to college and they, they accept a B just for attending the class. What we come down to? I deserve a B because I made my effort to be here. <laughs> you don't know how hard it is to get out of bed and come here. 
I had to leave all my video games and all my entertainment to come here to listen to you. So I deserve a B. You see the decay of society? We have to be careful that we don't do the same thing. We go to work and say, oh, you glad I made it here today. Just for being here, I deserve a paycheck. Don't tell me what to do. We have to be careful that we don't lower our standards. Again, God doesn't lower his standards because of society. God's standards is the same. We, as God's children, need to be careful that we don't lower our standards to the decay of society. Because when we do, we become just like them. Oh, it never happened to me. Don't say that. Because your sinful nature have a tremendous appetite for ungodly things. And it will do it. You find yourself doing things that you, you never imagined doing, but you do it, and you will, like, you know, presumptuously, like Amaziah, you will be doing, knowing is wrong, but you continue to do it. I talked with a Christian today about alcohol. Thinking about this message, he said, Oh, I, I drink. As much as I want, when I want. And I said, well, you lowered your standards, didn't you? Hey, what do you mean? I said, did you read God's word? Oh, yeah, I read God's word. What does God say about this subject? And he looks at me, I'm like, you, I, I look at him, I said, I'm not going to tell you what God says. You know what he says. But presumptuously, you're doing what you want to do, so you lowered your standards because that's what you want to do. Now what God tells you to do, you do that's what you want to do. So you become like your mind is in the decay of society. Because society says, hey, you deserve it. Do it. Have fun. And you go, oh, yeah. You already lowered your standards. Listen, folks, you say, well, oh, but we can't live like that. Yes, you can live like that. Oh, we can't please the Lord like that. Yes, you can't please the Lord. Remember, there's always a few that love God and live for Him. And you know what? They're joyful and happy, and they have the joy of the Lord in their hearts. That's something that the world does not understand, society doesn't understand, and Christians who are you low this standards are missing out. The joy of the Lord. In our hearts. You see right here. In this king that we will look at. Today or tonight. He said he was not like his father David. You say pastor. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to finish with this right now. He said pastor. Said, I'm sorry pastor. But David made a lot of mistakes. Yes he did. He was human. You have to understand that. David was not perfect. He was a human being just like me and you. He made mistakes. Here's one thing that he did. He confessed his mistakes to God. He confessed his sin to God. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord above anything else. And when he was confronted, he didn't put a front. He said, yes, I'm guilty. It's me. Some Christians, you can't tell them anything. He'll fight you to the bone. You can't tell them. If you try to say, brother, sister. They fight you to the bone. They try to tell you or to convince you how right they are. Oh, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? You say, look, read God's word and see what God says. Don't rely on my opinion. See what God says. You know, ask God and I have an argument with him. Let's see who's going to win the battle, you or him. Okay. I stop right now. And I will teach you another 30 pages in the weeks ahead. <laughs> this is a continuation. Believe me, this is a long message. Uh, but you know what? We will continue with the Tales of Nine Kings next week. So I know everybody is ready to come here next week. Everybody like, can't wait to get there. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for uh, this message tonight, Lord. What is it? It's an exciting message, but it's very, very sobering message for us to understand. Lord, when we lower our standards and embrace the decay of society, we are heading for trouble. 
And Lord, how many Christians are there right now? They rejected God. They rejected church. They rejected your word. They don't even sing to you anymore. They're singing the songs of the world, not the songs of Zion. They lost the joy of the Lord. And they're paying a high price. But they're not seeing because they're too blinded. Lord, I pray for those people. They will come back home. Lord, and millions of them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.